0: Hello, and welcome back to Oral Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. So in the gospel, which is for the third Sunday of Advent, it's about John the Baptist, the great forerunner of Christ. So important, he's mentioned in all four gospels. This week, the gospel comes from John. John and and Andrew were disciples of John the Baptist, so they knew him well. And so here's how John's gospel begins in chapter one. A man named John was sent from God, he came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted, and did not deny, but admitted, I'm not the Christ. Let's stop there, because we'll finish up the gospel later. But, to be asked, who are you? He he understood what the question was, John the Baptist. They wanted to know if he was claiming to be the Messiah because he was baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. He was dressed like a prophet, remember, in camel's hair, and he ate like a prophet off the produce of the land out into the Jordanian wilderness. And so if those questions were to be asked of you, how would you respond? For many modern Catholics, and priests and lay people and bishops, the categories seem to be not Messiah or not Messiah, Messiah, but the categories seem to be liberal, moderate, and conservative. They've just done a great study on the priests of the United States, how they see themselves. Who are you? And so identity before God, it's the question of John the Baptist, and it's the question we should be asking ourselves. Who are we? Since the gospel is very much about identity, and in the case of John the Baptist, he's Elijah. That's what Jesus says about him. He's the forerunner. And he sets up the coming of the Messiah because he's baptizing for the forgiveness of sins, but recognizes that the one that follows him will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so we think of the of what the lord did in his both his preaching but especially in the sacramental life and the gift of holy the holy spirit that comes through him but the ministers of those gifts that are given to us by the son of god uh, are really the the bishops in union with the holy father and the priests and deacons that assist um the bishops and the pope and so the catholic university of america in 19 no in 2022 released a study that it had done of about 10,000 Catholic priests, and it was interested in issues of polarization and generational dynamics. And so, where were the priests in terms of how they saw themselves theologically? Because you hear so much about conservatives and liberals, et cetera. And then the question is, in terms of difference in, um, say, theological perspectives, uh how does that equate to difference in generation say priests uh ordained before the year 20 uh 2000 and priests uh ordained after the year 2000 and there are significant differences um that the that the project uh identified and they probably will just confirm what you've observed but i'm going to go through some of them so the the basic of this, the basis of the study was this they sent out a survey of 10,000 Catholic priests. I don't know if I responded or not. I don't remember. Probably didn't respond. But anyway, about 3,500 other priests did respond from 191 dioceses, and that's a 36% valid response rate, which is apparently enough sociologically to come up with some some conclusions. Uh, They also conducted about 100 um, qualitative interviews. That is, they followed up with 100 guys who had, out of the 3,000 plus that had responded, and then went into it in more depth. And then they uh, they talked also to U.S. bishops, and they got 131 responses, which is a 67% valid response rate, which is much better than what the priest response rate was. So. Uh, I suppose I would conclude that priests are working harder than bishops, but I'm not exactly sure that that's true. But this is all the problem of sociology, my friend, and drawing uh, vast conclusions from data. Um, But here's kind of what the Catholic University came up with, uh, the Catholic project, in terms of polarization and generational dynamics. They said that the, the data suggests that the American presbyterate is, over time, becoming less polarized. Um, I don't think you could say that back in the 80s and the 90s. But as American as American culture seems to get more polarized, uh, priests seem to be congealing around some basic things. Uh, simply put, the portion of new priests who see themselves as politically liberal or theologically progressive has been steadily declining since the Second Vatican Council and has all but vanished. In short, You know, when you say, well, that priest is liberal. Well, they're kind of the dinosaurs, and there are priests who think of themselves as liberals. Um, Here's what one of the the comments from an unnamed priest was. Priests in their 70s and 60s now would be one cohort. And then you have the JP 2 generation that would be very orthodox, but still has some, you know, free-flowing liturgy stuff, which we've all observed of a certain age. And then you get in the Benedict stuff which is like, you know, the hard-on-everything kind of guys. And then the young guys now, I'd say you have a lot in common with those last few cohorts, but no one's really the super-progressive wing because it really didn't replicate itself. Well, yeah, because it can't go anywhere. It's always just made up on the fly. Um, You know, I talked to an older guy about what he thought the difference between liberals and conservatives was, and he said liberals are nice to people, conservatives are not. I think he was being flippant because uh, obviously it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know the one thing about this whole study that I thought was interesting, and I, I put it to you to think about: if you had to come up with a definition of what a liberal Catholic was, a moderate Catholic, and a conservative Catholic, what would it be? And you cannot use someone's nice and someone isn't nice. I mean, I guess with liberals, you'd have to say ordination of women, uh, everybody voting for who the bishop is. Those might be liberal causes. Um, I think a lot of the rest of it is just faded from memory. The conservative causes, well, you know, what do you mean by conservative? Because some people think of themselves as the radical, traditional, and want to bring back the Latin mass for everybody. But not every conservative thinks like that. And then what's the moderate? That's the hard one, I think, for people to wrap their minds around. And it would be kind of nice if at some point in this study, they would offered what they thought was uh, a liberal, a moderate, and a conservative. Because it could be that mostly how uh, Catholics think now really aligns with liberalism. And that's why it's kind of disappeared as a, as a theological category for priests. But my friends, I'm just speculating. And so let's go on and ask how actually people see themselves. Uh, And, you know, in terms of the point I was making, the study notes that what, you know, when we talk about liberal and conservative, uh, there's nothing uh, that anyone ever offered as to what those definitions uh, might be. One trend, it seems, according to the study, is in political views, it seems to have stabilized to include a large proportion of moderates, and I think that kind of aligns with the country. Some people, you know, who are, uh, consider themselves conservative really are not that conservative, um, or people who consider themselves liberal are really not that liberal. A lot of people like to think of themselves as moderate, and moderates think of themselves as you know thinkers trying to figure out which is the best policy, what might work between the kinds of uh options the extremes offer. Um but that seems to be how most priests think of themselves politically as moderate. Um there don't seem to be very many that identify as politically liberal because the Democratic Party on abortion has been so alienating. And some of the the really right wing stuff in the in the conservative wing of the Republican Party uh, can also be alienating to Catholics. But there are probably Catholics who believe very strongly in those uh, those perspectives, but mostly amongst the priests, they identify themselves as moderate. Uh, it says a full 85% of the youngest cohort describes itself as conservative or orthodox, or very conservative or orthodox theologically. Though only 14%, the smallest percentage of any cohort, cohort describe themselves as middle of the road. So if you take the recent ordinands, um, tend to think of themselves as orthodox or very orthodox. Uh, and I think that, that rings true. But I've also thought, at least with the guys I personally know, um, that they do have great respect for the catechism and the teaching of the Pope. And so it also kind of follows in how they think about um, the Holy Father, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but, uh, it can look like a generational divide, Catholic youth says, but really it's a theological philosophical divide. You know, one of the things I would point out, if you talk to priests ordained, I was ordained in 98, but if you talk to priests that were ordained after, say, the year 2002, which is a nice date that suggests before and after the clergy sexual abuse crisis. It always strikes me that uh, someone born in 2002 is now about 21 years old and has no memory of it. But I have to say, I was ordained for just a couple of years when it hit, and it was shocking. And so they went into uh, that issue, which I thought was very interesting, as they talked to these priests, young and old. So they asked about how uh the all the three thousand plus priests they looked at looked at the priest abuse crisis, and then they they categorized it from either ordained before two thousand two, which is kind of when it hit big out in Yuma, which is where I was, and then being ordained after two thousand two so i got a, I thought this rang true, and I want to read it to you um for the guys ordained before two thousand two like I was quote. I liked the lifestyle of the priest and recognition and respect that the priest had, end quote. I can't say that was a huge issue for me. I didn't think much about it, but I think it had something to do with kind of what my job position was and where I was coming from. I didn't think I was taking a step up. Um, but here's the second thing they said. I didn't have any idea as a seminarian or as a priest that there was such a thing as abuse. Well, I will tell you in my time in the seminary, it was never even mentioned. I was in canon Law School. Uh, just as this stuff was heating hitting and I was talking about, you know, what happens when priests are condemned or denounced. Uh and I was just poo-pooed by the professor that was going through the criminal deluxe like that wasn't gonna happen. I thought to myself, whoa, <laughs> what world's this guy living in? But another guy at Catholic, Catholic U, and during the canon law period I was there, didn't even know who Scott Hans and Jeff Caven's was, which was shocking for me. Although those guys had just kind of started. I guess you had to kind of be alert to, to get what was happening amongst the laity. And then again, amongst the pre-2002 ordain. The screening was not done properly and i think that is a huge issue prior to the 2002 where they would they just you know would tolerate things in the seminary that would not be tolerated now so in my judgment that was right on as to my seminary experience even amongst the the priests that were allowed to be in the seminary and teaching seminarians because i went in 1974 and it was a little crazy and then again in 1994 And it was a very different experience, but still not like it is today. The church has changed a lot because of the abuse crisis. And then this kind of covered what I concluded out of my four years at Sacred Heart. I think my training in the seminary was incredibly inadequate. I would say in regard to sexual abuse, oh boy, was it inadequate. And when it started to hit, it was shocking for me or to talk to people who had been victims of sexual abuse. It's like, well, they might as well have been from Mars. Um, And that, I lay at the feet of the seminaries because that whole abuse thing was already cooking in the 90s and the 80s and they ignored it in the seminaries and that was not good. Now, but think how much the church has changed. So for guys ordained after 2002, here are their comments. This was a time that the church needed good men. Well, the church always needs good men. There must be part of my vocation and my calling as a priest in this time that's not accidental. And the Lord intends to use me and my priesthood to help restore this and restore the trust and credibility of the priesthood for people. I say amen. I remember when I had to sit up in a pulpit and talk about the arrest of Father Juan Guillen out in Yuma. And I couldn't stop from crying because it was so awful. But I thought to myself, and I'd said it to Bishop Moreno at the time, I'm glad I was there for this. I felt like I had been chosen, that something bad was happening, and that it wasn't my disease, as Father uh, Van Wagner said said to me once when he came out from Father Juan's uh, arraignment, which was really amazing. Um, But that the idea to sit there and just soldier through. And I say some people run into burning buildings, some people run out. But this is part of the divide that's in the Catholic priesthood now and how we think about it. And I think the guys who've been ordained since 2002 have been brought up to speed a lot better than the rest of us were. Then one rector said, no, our rector said to us, this is a guy who's been ordained after 2002. You guys will spend your entire priesthood restoring trust. Well, what I would say is, properly understood, every priest is always trying to be worthy of trust. Every pope and bishop, too. Just part of it, the idea that, you know, you would come in and take it all for granted. I find that a very objectionable attitude for uh, people coming into the priesthood. The greatest amongst you is the one who serves. That's what Jesus says. So now think about that in terms of identity because that's what the gospel is about. You know, when, you, when you're a father or a mom or a priest or a deacon or a bishop, uh, how do you identify? Um, John the Baptist identified as a voice crying in the wilderness. And that's what a prophet is, the voice of God. And what's he crying in? In the midst of desolation. What's he crying? Hope. Someone who is coming will just set the world on fire. Get ready for it. And this is who Jesus is. God does not disappoint. But as we think about, you know, this very inadequate way that we think about uh, being Catholic, uh, liberal, moderate, conservative. Boy, if you can't, come up with what you think or uh, the definitions or the categories that separate those things. And I would have trouble doing it because they really are political considerations that come out of the French Enlightenment. They come out of Great Britain. They come out of political thought in, uh, in the developing party system, and especially in the uh, late 20th century when it's become very acute um, You know, how you tell the difference between a liberal and a progressive in American politics. Um, But uh, for us Catholics, um, it just seems to me that the Catholic faith is a given. You either believe it or you don't. You either read the catechism or you refuse to read the catechism. You either believe what the catechism teaches or you don't. Even if the stuff you find hard in the catechism, if you say, okay, I, I guess I have to think about this and pray my way through it. That's how I think about being a Catholic. But the idea that there's somebody out there that constantly thinks that they're editing the Catholic faith, um, this does not compute for me. And um, I always like what the late uh, Father John Henry Newhouse said. He said, "Uh, really, it's about fidelity, 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 fidelity. That's how you think about it. You're either being faithful to the gospel and to the church uh, or you're not. And this comes up to another issue which you hear amongst Catholics in our parish, in our community, but it's also amongst the priests. And it's this idea of accountability to the Pope. I guess my default position has always been that you cannot be more Catholic than the Pope. It doesn't mean that the Pope doesn't have his humanity, um, but that you understand what, what orthodoxy is, and that you understand what the what the Holy Father teaches in the context of orthodoxy. And so uh, I'd like to comment some more on that because I got a lot to say about stuff. But uh, the, here's what uh, the Catholic project found about how priests in this generational divide, how they think about the Pope. And here's what it says. Responses do indicate generational differences and ordination cohort differences, and they mean ages, before or after 2002. But these differences pale in comparison to the other generational shifts in terms of accountability to the Pope. So here, this is what it's getting at. 67% of priests in the cohort of priests ordained since 2000 agree that they value their accountability to the Pope versus 82% of those ordained before 1980. So guys before 1980 feel more accountable to the Pope than guys after 2000. I thought that was interesting. Similarly, 64% of priests under the age of 45, that would leave me out, agree that they value accountability to the Pope Francis compared to 82% of priests over the age of 75. So the older guys seem to have more of a sense of the unity of the church, but everybody is well over 50%. Um, But the idea is, what does it mean to be a Catholic when you disconnect from the pope, the bishop, and the parish? Um, And you reduce it simply to a series of what uh, beliefs that you have, and then those beliefs are all categorized according to liberal, moderate, or conservative. It just seems to me that's very chancy. You know, the whole, it seems to me, journey of being a Catholic is being part of community. Um, you know, one of the things I want to say about uh, our popes during uh, my lifetime, and I was born under John the 23rd, but I was too young. He died before I was compass mentis. Then Paul the sixth, who was the Pope all the way through high school. He always seemed like such a trustworthy old guy, but I would say I came of age under JP too. And I love that guy, um, you know, in terms of identity and coming out of the 70s. John Paul was such a quality act. And the way he took on the Soviet Empire and how he talked about marriage and talked about being a Catholic. I loved John Paul. I cried the day he died. I only saw him one time and surprised how short he was because he always seemed like a giant to me. But I love Benedict 16th because he's such a smart guy. Very different character, uh, John Paul, at least in my in my estimation, John Paul the I was around so so uh, I don't even really have a memory of him. And then Pope Francis has been a very different guy uh, and I think partly and people have to figure it out. he's the first Pope from the southern hemisphere. He's an Argentine, and that's a just a very different cultural perspective than uh, two guys, John Paul and Benedict, who grew up during the Second World War, right at the center of all the violence of Nazism and communism. And so how you put those two guys and you compare them culturally to Francis, you know, you have to kind of pay attention to who people are. And Francis did not grow up in the fulcrum of atheism, violent national socialism, atheism, or communist atheism. And so just a different guy. And he grew up in the context of South American uh, Catholicism. You know, I, when I went to the seminary, we had a great liturgy professor, a Salvatorian, Father Raul Gomez, and he actually was from Bisbee, and he was a super guy. He taught me Hispanic presiding, you know, how to say Mass in Spanish. Really likable man. But he said that the difference between Spanish uh, Catholicism, so Spain, Mexico, on South, was that Spain never went through the Reformation, like we Irish did or the Germans did? Uh, and that culturally, that has an effect on how you think about uh, Catholicism. And it's why in say Mexican Catholicism, uh, processions and these huge parties around Catholic feasts, why we have Mardi Gras, you know was the gift of uh, the Spanish and the French in Louisiana, uh, that these things uh, are really rooted so much in in these cultures, which are very different from English and Irish culture, German culture, which is the kind of Catholicism I grew up with. But Pope Francis grew up in that Spanish Catholicism. You know, the Spanish Catholicism, Catholic, uh, Mexico, Argentina, South America, they actually had the Spanish Inquisition. Um, But you know, the New England colonies, the 13 original colonies, they never had the Inquisition. They had the Puritans. I probably would take the Inquisition over the Puritans, but I'll leave that for you to decide because we wouldn't have Thanksgiving otherwise. Um, but the going back to what the point is about the sense of connection to the Pope, Orthodoxy always been an interest, uh, an important concern in um, Catholicism. But um, what they find is, it's not just the Pope, uh, it's also how priests relate to their bishops. And apparently it varies widely across the United States. And they say some of the biggest factors have to do with how big the diocese is. And whether a bishop is in like, you know, the archdiocese of Los Angeles or Chicago, where you have millions of Catholics, or smaller dioceses. and Tucson's a moderate-sized diocese. You know, uh, I think we have a very good bishop. I think we've been blessed with our bishops and they've been bishops in very difficult times. I mean, because this is not an easy time to lead in the Catholic Church. Um, but uh, there is apparently some variables in, um, in, across the country according to the Catholic Project. I'm not gonna try to explain them to you because you can just put in the Catholic Project, study of priests, and read the whole thing for yourself. Um, but I thought that the question of accountability to the Pope was interesting. I'm not exactly sure what it means. I mean, I don't ever think Pope Francis is going to try me for heresy cuz I just, you know, read the catechism and say that's what the Catholic faith is. And so I'm not exactly sure, but I think at its at its weakest point, it's the idea that I can believe in the Catholic faith and I become the judge of the pope, the bishop, the priest, the deacon and everybody else because I believe the right way, and I'll decide what other other people believe. I think that is a small portion of Catholic priests and Catholic people, but I think it's still there. You know, I'll leave you this one last thing about this report before I get back to the gospel. Uh, it asked a question about whether out of these 3,500 guys, how much of them had actually been involved um, as victims of abuse or experienced abuse. Um, and uh, 85% said no, they had no personal experience of abuse. 9% said yes, that they had personally experienced abuse. And then 6% said unsure, prefer not to answer. And that could mean a lot of different things. But you know, that the idea that we all have this idea to act, I mean, we all have this responsibility to, at a very fundamental level, make sure that our parishes are safe place, safe places. And I think the difference between pre-2002 Catholics and I hope post-2002 Catholics is I think when you listen to the reports of people who have been abused, so much of them expected the uh, church to do something. It's like all responsibility was offloaded onto the bishop and the priest. And I think the difference is in the post 2002 Catholics, is they recognize that everybody has a responsibility to pick up the phone and dial 911. Everybody has the responsibility of protecting kids from abuse, and you expect the cops to do that. Uh, you let the priest know you call, but everyone should be calling the cops if there's a question of, uh, of criminality even remotely involved in what you observe. So take some time to look at that study. There's a lot I didn't talk about, um but I did think that the idea that uh our younger priests identify uh more conservative they identify with Benedict the sixteenth especially um and can have some uh, uh, uh more uh unsure relationship with Pope Francis I think that's true of some guys uh not most guys um but the question is about identity, and identity is about community and who do you belong. And if your identity is, I'm a Catholic, I'm faithful to the Pope, my bishop, my people, all right, that's the source of identity. If the identity is, I have this set of beliefs, and I will judge everyone by it because I'm the Orthodox one, um, I don't think that's very compatible with being a Catholic. Um, maybe that's at the heart of this study. I'm not really sure what to think about it. I think it comes down to uh, what you might think a liberal, a moderate, or a conservative is. So let's go ahead and conclude uh, this meditation on priestly identity or Catholic identity and uh, with a couple thoughtful questions. At least I hope they're thoughtful. So remember in the gospel, the priests and the scribes asked John the Baptist, who are you? And he understands himself as a voice, a prophet. Um, and so the question is to you, who are you? How do you identify yourself if you had to answer these questions? Do you think of yourself as a conservative, a moderate, or a liberal? What would be the basis for that? Do you consider yourself an Orthodox Catholic? That it's really not about conservative, moderate, liberal. It's either you either believe what the church teaches in a catechism or you don't. Or like most Catholics, I believe But I do have some questions, and I'm not exactly sure what to do with them, which I think is a very healthy response uh, to the catechism. But that's about um, identification. Well, how about public identification? Um, Are you faithful to the pope? Are you loyal to the pope? Because with this pope, you can listen to a lot of what he says and not understand it. Um, He has never contradicted Catholic faith. That's clear to me. What he talks about is what do you do with people who are not living the Catholic faith? And that's become harder for people. And and it's one of the things about a priestly identity. Do you see yourself as a priest, as a teacher or an enforcer? Do you see yourself as a Catholic, as a teacher, helping people to understand why the faith is freeing? Or just as the hitman for some uh, pope that uh, doesn't actually exist, Um, where you alienate everybody that does not accept the catechism the way you think it should be accepted. Um, I like to think of myself as a teacher. And I recognize after hearing confessions for 25 years, people have struggles. And so uh, identity, um, I'm not sure political identifications, those categories really help us. But I think uh, the categories that do help us is faithful Catholic, disciple of Christ, always a learner teaching what I know and allowing God to be God and the church to be the church. And so with that, I bid you another fond adieu until next time on Oro Valley Catholic.